0: Welcome to fifth draw wild everybody i'm your host matt and if this is your first time with us this is a show where i interview people about the slices of pop culture that they're most passionate about we're jumping right into our episode today i hope you enjoy it and joining us today is a new guest scott mason scott welcome to the show thanks for having me matt so scott what are uh, what are we going to be talking about today
1: uh today we're going to be talking about um something that i really enjoy doing and that's going to be world building um I was going to do Pokemon but Josh kind of beat me to that by a, a while.
0: <laughs> he did jump on that topic pretty quick once he uh, once he heard about the show. So
1: Yeah, I wasn't surprised by that. <laughs>
0: world building is great. That's something I love doing, love looking at. So this should be a fun talk. Um So, real quick, what is world building?
1: World building is basically uh taking all of the ideas that you can and creating an entirely new universe, basically. Like, you can take influences from other places, but there's—it's mostly just getting that specific area for either like a D&D campaign or an RPG campaign, or even just a story that you're writing. It's basically just putting it all together.
0: Awesome. Um, so we're going to start off. Um, we're going to look at five different kind of aspects of world building, um, and we're going to start off with setting.
1: So the setting um, can be a whole lot of different things because you've got fantasy, you've got sci-fi, you've got modern, you've got uh, you know ancient or just something that involves you know some sort of ancient mythos or whatever, and that really all depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell.
0: Yeah, and and setting is going to be what kind of influences the rest of this because if you don't know what your what your toolbox is, you don't know what you can play with. And that's what setting really does is it tells you what toolbox you get to use. Right. So um, you mentioned several. Um, what are some of your favorite your favorite settings and kind of what goes with them?
1: Um, well, the one that I really like delving into a lot is the fantasy aspect. So more like building a world for a D&D campaign, um, mm-hmm. which I'm doing right now. And a lot of that, because there's so much you can like just mess around with because you can have like stuff for magic or you can have whatever uh, if you can think it, you can do it in fantasy and that's that's my favorite is being able to just have whatever i want be whatever i want it to be
0: the other the other kind of important considerations with setting are the story you want to tell the worlds you want to build and in some regards also the audience right so like players readers whatever um so what does what does fantasy do? What does fantasy provide over some other alternatives for the audience?
1: Well, there's there's a lot of debate um, between people with like sci-fi or fantasy um, is the biggest one that comes to mind. Um, I prefer fantasy because again, like I said, there's so much you can do with it. It's not just like, oh, science happens, so this can happen. It's like, nah, man, there's freaking magic and crap. I don't know. There's it's it's really all about preference, um, about like what you prefer on. Um, like either to read or to play or whatever so
0: yeah all right well we're going to we're going to barrel on down um and we're going to look at our second topic because fantasy we've got fantasy established is the one we're going to play around with today so second topic characters
1: yeah uh characters are i think my favorite part of world building just because it's a lot of like the coming up with the names the personalities, is like a lot of the times, um, if I'm stuck on a character and I can't think of how I want them to be, I'll think of somebody that I know in real life and just kind of rip their personality from their being and <laughs> throw it in.
0: Steal what you know. It's a solid tool.
1: Oh, yeah. That's like that's the number one rule is if you don't know what you're going to write, copy an author that you do like until you get what you know.
0: What When, when you go in to build characters... How what's kinda of your mindset behind it? Do you do you build them custom for a position or do you come with a character and find a way to plug them in? Which which kinda
1: Uh it depends on what I need them to do. Um so I have um I'll use an example that I'm building right now. Um in my D campaign there is a paladin and a cleric that are brothers. They're main characters. Okay. So what I need for them is to have these personalities that are gonna be amiable for the players um so that they're not going to be like oh well we don't like them you know we don't want to see a whole lot more of them it's trying to get like main characters to be main characters so they're likable or they're relatable or you don't like them but they're still there because that's how a lot of villains are yeah or if there's like you've got monsters or baddies for one-offs or whatever you just need to build the character for the setting that you have or for the um I'm trying to think of the word for it, like the uh, the event that you have, rather. Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: If you were going to build completely new, what would your thought process be if you were going to start off with... Um, you want to fill a role of like a mentor figure for a party and a villain figure for a party.
1: Okay, for the mentor, my first idea jumps immediately to the cla- like the Yoda classic, where it's this old this old guy that you don't think can do anything but he ends up being an absolute monster okay you have you have him be you know he has the why he's got the quips that he can you know dole out if he has to and you know he's can make the smart ass comments just something like that but he's also incredibly powerful well tempered and just you know he he fits every archetype that you need for a mentor okay the villain uh it depends if you want like tom hiddleston as loki or if you want just like the dirt worst person like handsome jack for example from the borderland series yeah who is stuck with this hero complex mentality if he's doing good but he's kind of just a giant tool
0: yeah yeah at least he's funny about it though that he is that, memorable yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly and that's that's another thing that you really want if you're going to have a, a long lasting villain figure is you don't want your players to forget oh he's the one that we're really fighting yeah
0: yeah, there always needs to be some reason, uh, something to pull him back in. So he has, he yeah, either has to just continually show up and do more atrocities or something. Right. They yeah. They need to always remember him.
1: If nothing else, just come in and kind of just be an inconvenience, just to be like, hey, I'm still here. Remember that. Also, yeah. I'm your worst nightmare.
0: Yeah, still around, still bad. Uh, it was it was one of the weirder parts of, or one of the better parts of uh, Borderlands Two. Was well, every so often, Handsome Jack would just pop onto your radio and just start making fun of you.
1: Yeah, he he didn't he didn't care. He would just come on. I think the the first like hour and a half of the game, he comes on and talks about how he wants to name his horse after uh, Piss for Brains after you, but yeah. that would just seems silly. Just small things like that, where it's just you're just being mean about it now.
0: Yeah, and and just striving to make him memorable. What are what are some of um, what are some of the favorite characters you've seen in other in other roles that are things that you that have made you want to build better characters like them?
1: there is a uh, D&D podcast that I listen to called uh, Heroes and Halfwits. it's from Achievement Hunter and their DM has given uh, the gods all these different personalities so uh, he's given Ali Damara this like Elvis impersonator type gimmick that he's got going on. That's pretty uh great. and it's just throwing these things out there for like these powerful creatures that you wouldn't expect. Um, so there's that one. There's um it's actually I'm, I'm gonna be ripping something that you did for our D and D campaign, um, of just having these like not necessarily minions or like henchmen, uh, but just having those like small inconveniences that do get solved relatively quickly, but are just there to like progress the story and like give these plot conveniences but also to just have an end to them like as soon as you can.
0: Yeah. Got the the dragon to the dragon of the dragon for the bad guy. Right, yeah. All right. Um so let's um let's roll on here a little bit. Cuz some of these that we're going to get to here in a minute are going to be much longer conversations. Um right. <laughs> so, I don't mind that these two have been short, and we'll be able to kind of tie some of this stuff together later. Um, geography is what we're going to cover next. So, the world.
1: Yeah. the uh, A lot of fantasy settings will have, no, they've got the different biomes, so they'll have a tundra, you've got a forest, you've got a mountain range, you've got deserts, you've got an ocean, but... For a lot of them, primarily, I think I see them mostly as, like, these grasslands or these, like, farming villages. Yeah. Um, and just, like, that lane throughout, uh, for at least the, the, the biggest chunk of the world itself. But then you've got, you know, the mountain ranges of wherever. And I usually see those in the distance, like, in the background of, like, the opening town or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's kind of what's what's called like two different styles of world building. Is either like top down or bottom up. Um, right. Top down is saying like, okay, here is this world. So, I have the world laid out. Usually it's like a map of the world and then I'm going to zoom in and be like, oh, there's a city here, there's a city here, there's towns here, there's forests, mountains, and then eventually moving down and down and down until you're like, and here is the starting village in relation to all these other towns and I know all this whole thread of everything. Bottom up, is the Bottom up pops- is what
1: I do. Yeah, I I find that the center, the focal point to start, and then depending on how it goes from there, that's when I expand out to either oh you're traveling west towards you know the next the fishing village or east up towards the desert, or if you want to go straight north up into the taiga or whatever. I I always do bottom up because I find it uh, personally I find it easier to at least get that center focal point the starting point rather but okay. mean, everyone builds it differently so
0: yeah and there was um there was a D, there was a series of articles on the D website years ago um where one of the lead designers uh kind of walked people through uh world building for their campaign and he started out bottom up so he as he went through the articles he, like he just started in a village and he would just build up details of it every time and he would just reference this village over and over again and it's really interesting. It's a great way to do it, and it's a way I do it when I have to do a game on the fly, where I'm just like, "Yeah, going in blind." Okay, cool. Uh, you're in town, and that's all I know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I have. It could just be a tavern and a shop and some houses, but come two sessions from now, it could also now, be a city. Yeah, bottom up gives it a lot more um, flexibility. I think instead of just plotting out the geography of it and then getting into like the nitty gritty. For
0: me, for me, um, I tend to prefer uh, top down if I'm doing something bigger um, because I want to know where everything is and I want to know what's going on outside of the story because it's gonna right. it's gonna affect it. And so, like, like if I'm on the fly and I'm just like, oh, great, you guys, uh, y'all are in a town. We'll decide the rest as we go. If I'm going from top down, what I'm gonna look for is where is the point where I need to drop them. To achieve what they want, the fun they want to have, and also to move the story along. So I'm the kind of person who, when I look at this list of things, I'm like, geography. Okay, uh, there are four continents, and there's this chain of islands, and there's a mountain stretch here, and there's a desert. I have a pile of maps somewhere of things I've
1: drawn, like right
0: whole worlds, just in a notebook.
1: <laughs> I- I'm trying to do a more top-down. Like the more time I have to build a world, then the more I, I try and do top-down um mm-hmm. at least just like to get like the main plot points of the story so like you start in the village you need to get to the castle or you need to get to this cave in the mountain so that you can do this thing over in the desert and just like trying to lay out like you said like if it's like four continents and a chain of islands or if it's just all one big supercontinent surrounded by ocean or if it's just there's no water say there's no ocean in this world and ah, it's all just exactly <laughs>
0: Oh, wait. Sorry. We're doing a and d We're doing a fantasy theme. I apologize. Uh, Dark Sun.
1: Tatooine for... Uh, it is probably the more common known, at least, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if, if you don't know what Dark Sun is and you play D&D, uh, get yourself right. It's,
1: it's real fun. I gotta get myself right then.
0: <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, man. Okay, so Dark Sun. So Traditional fantasy is exactly what we've talked about. Grasslands, right. knights, horsebacks, magic gods are real and they interact with people and they just storm out and if you anger them they will just punch you in the face basic. that's just basic d Dark Sun is set on this world called Athos and there's, it's all desert there are no gods magic is evil and will get you killed if you're doing it, there's no metal anywhere so if you suddenly find like plate mail, people will try to murder you to steal it because it's the most valuable thing there is and there are giant sentient talking praying
1: mantises. That definitely sounds like a world without gods.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Penny Arcade did a short little like one-off campaign, and they recorded a podcast for it for Wizards that you can probably find somewhere. It was a lot of fun.
1: That kind of shows a little not how like simplified world building can be, but how you don't need to go that into it. Like if you just want to have, you know, you got the one biome desert all the way around that's fine world building doesn't have to get into these like wicked specific um, quadrants or sections or whatever it yeah. can literally just be that simplified
0: it's there's definitely like on the spectrum of world building complexity there's like dark Sun at that end where it's just like everything is bad everything wants to right. kill you and on the other end is like spelljammer where it was like every single world in D and d, you can go to on a magic flying boat in space.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> it's 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 those connecting points that can like really determine, and that's a lot of the thing too, is because that's still technically fantasy, even though it's a little bordering on the sci-fi. Um, yeah, at least if you ask me.
0: the The first rule book had actual like orbital mechanics in it that they expected you to roll for, and it's like mm,
1: no. Yeah, that's that's a bit much, but personally if i'm if I'm world building I don't want to like solar system build or universe build yeah, I just want to focus on one planet at the largest, but like continent
0: <laughs> at the most, yeah, and yeah, go from there so we're going to so geography is very much like a consideration of a wider scale of world building or a top down style um so let's let's kind of foot the book there and let's look okay. at some places. Which is okay. definitely more of a bottom-up style,
1: so right, and this is something that I like to do a lot more. Yeah,
0: so dig in on places. What do you do? How do you build places?
1: I always start off, um, and we're using D- like a D and D campaign a lot, just because we both play D and D, we both DM D and D, so it's a little Common easier language. for us. But I yeah, some of us, some listeners though might not be a little uh, more up to date with D&D or, like, a tone to yeah, getting, like, the, the colloquialisms. Not colloquialisms. What am I trying to say, Matt? <laughs> the, the slang and, like, the lingo of it. Yeah. So, yeah. But we can now, translate as needed. Right. I like to start off in, like, town square, like the center of town, and I usually picture that in a fantasy setting as this is where the well is. You've got a well, you've got markets, you've got a tavern, but you've got this big open spot in the middle and you can okay. you don't have to list city limits so you can expand out as much as you want from there
0: yeah and it can end up being just a village right, right. or a city
1: yeah or it could be an entire like walled in kingdom yeah and you can have if you want you know you know, the next city is a couple feet away or if it's you've got to travel days down the road to get to the next place you determine where that city ends you know, then you gotta get the filler for how much is in there, or you can just say everything outside of this like little market area. It's just like tenement buildings until you get to the castle.
0: Place place also has you know, you said a couple of these things like blacksmith shop or church or castle, and all of those things are independently kind of places in and of themselves.
1: Right. So that kinda goes more into like the specifics, so you you can Say it's, you know, you've got this very basic town square, which has markets and a library. Or you can go into, this is the market district where it's, or the bazaar, where there's blacksmiths, there's fishmongers, there's artisans, there's, you know, silversmiths, there's jewelers. And you just keep going in, and that can then carry in, you know, if you have characters that you want to put into these roles that just kind of bottom up can go more in depth i think at least as far as expansion goes
0: Mm -hmm. it definitely does give you the freedom to to employ some other things that you've created and use them so uh, if you have like your mentor figure well if he's a wise old man he could totally be in that library and that'd be a good place for him to meet since they're walking in there anyways
1: right so you've got you know Or if your party decides, no, we don't want to go into the library, then okay, plan B, think on the fly, and continue to build more bottom-up, Yep, which happens so much more often than people think.
0: (laughs) It really, really does. Uh, No plan survives contact
1: with the players. Absolutely not. And I know that uh, Alan Alan Sells can absolutely attest to that with not only campaigns he's run for CKTCast, which is a podcast that uh, former guests of the show Alan, Josh, and Jake do, um, and Shannon, and Shannon. I forgot Shannon was on this. Sorry, Shannon, but also for a myriad of other stuff.
0: Alan, Alan, Jake, and Josh have told this story before, uh, where the first episode of Pokemon World Tour United, one of them, one of either Jake or Josh suggested going out to Cinnabar, and they described Alan's face as just panic.
1: <laughs> exactly, because it's like, well, you can if you want to like swim there, I guess, but like, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is like, there's
0: definitely like a road heading out of town. Oh, you want to go swim in the ocean now? Why now? (laughs) That happens all the time. And being able to just adapt on the fly, which Alan definitely could have done. Yeah. Could have told his story. Having that ability and being able to look at it and be like, oh, I have these characters I need them to meet. But they keep on not doing what I, the players keep on doing things I didn't think they'd do.
1: Yeah, you didn't plan for these things.
0: I have to find some way to throw these people at them.
1: <laughs> right. That happens. Uh, that's happened in a few of the, the campaigns that I've done, where they've they've either gone past what I had planned for that session, because they just blew through everything, or they were just like, no, we're gonna hold off on that really big main storyline thing, and we're gonna do this other thing. And that's like, okay, think, adapt, Execute, and that—that's kind of another th- like big aspect of world building is being able to just think it in your head and immediately put it out there, add it to the world.
0: Yeah, and that's that's definitely one of the biggest rules of about all of this, as, especially looking at this from a, a role playing perspective, is whatever worlds you've built. If you're if you're taking this as a DM. Uh, GM, whatever your title for your game is. Um, if you're taking this and handing it to the players and being like, come play in this world. We're going to go tell a cool story. I've got some ideas. Then you can't be so precious with the world as to be like, no, you can't go over that mountain range. That's impossible. You have to be like, oh. right. Well, yeah, there's totally like a dwarf pass through the mountains. You you can't You can't have that closed off mentality of just like, no, you have to go down this road.
1: Right. That's, I don't know, that's one of the biggest aspects of world building, again, is the being able to just do it on the fly. So, like, having this, if you build a world, but you've got everything set to follow a point-by-point, like, storyline, then that doesn't really leave a whole lot for, oh, so what if this other thing happens? Or what if, you know, this, we we don't want to go this way, or this fight didn't go the way you thought it was going to go? Um, and that's a lot of mostly just for like building an ar- a role-playing game world but if you're writing a story because i used to do this a lot too and uh, a creative writing class i had is i created this world and i just went along with the story and got the feedback from my classmates of every time i would have to read this how much more i had of the story allowed they'd give me the feedback i'd adapt the world to that i didn't just have i have a b c d e and f and i need to get all of these, and that's it. There's nothing else I can do. Like this is the this is what I'm focusing on. You need to have that flexibility, not only as a GM or a DM, but as a writer. Otherwise, it just kind of I don't know. It, it doesn't get, necessarily get stale, but it gets kind of forced.
0: Stories don't like to be contained. Uh, no. no story wants to be contained, and if you try to contain it, you're not going to tell that story and you're going to do something else it might work who knows but every every time you know i i've heard this from a lot of different people is i was writing this story i was writing with these characters i was telling their story and then this one character just totally surprised me and i had to go whoa i need to go back and change things because of what this character just did right because the story was not like they did not realize it but the story had started to go left down its own path and they were just following along as they were writing it. And it's if you're not able to adapt to that, you're gonna lose oh you could lose a really cool story. Trying to force it back on
1: I've done that myself where I've had a point in mind for a story, but then I got another idea that overwrote the one in my head. So I had like a few I had like four or five pages and then I was like, Alright, this is what they're gonna do at this point and then it took a complete left turn into who knows where and everything was different, but it wasn't conducive to what I had, wrote, I had written before, so it all just didn't make sense. And that's another thing you have to be careful of, is trying to be too flexible with your ideas, because yeah. then your story is, you're going to lose those, like, key points, and it's not going to make sense. Or it'll just, it'll get too confusing, and it won't be as fun as, like, you want it, or you're making it out to be.
0: That's That's another lesson that's true for the GM side of things as well, is... Yeah, you want to be flexible and you want your characters, your players more than anything, to have fun. Right. That's the goal. But if the story you're planning, if the story that you're kind of helping them guiding them with, if they're so far out in the feet out in the weeds that you can't tell that story anymore, you got to be able to adapt and like shift the story around to link back up with where they're at or right. find a way to follow bring their road back around to your story so it is that tightrope rope of am i being too too stiff or am i being too loose with this
1: right am i am, and that's another problem of like thinking only thinking on the fly is if you bottom up if you don't have points in your head that you have to get to like you can have the meat in between be whatever as long as you get to the key points but if you let that meat go too far and you forget those key points, then it just it gets way too out of hand way too quickly. And I can't tell you how many campaigns I've done that have gone that way, be it as myself as a player or myself as the DM. And then you also have to think, like you have a lot of people in the party contributing to the DM's world building, so it's not just what you have in mind. It's mm-hmm. trying to shape it so that everyone has a, a good time and the story makes sense and everyone's happy and wants to keep going with it.
0: We're going to bump along to our last topic here. Um, and this one this one is a pretty interesting one for me. Um, this one is culture.
1: Culture can get tricky. Is uh, I think it's probably one of the hardest parts of world building because bottom-up geography is, okay what biome is where what terrain is where places is okay you've got the the basics and you've got you know the the other things like the castles and like the churches and stuff like that where it's like all right these are not so much the most common places but they're still places that you have yeah culture is whatever the heck you want it to be provided it still makes a little bit of sense like if i can rip straight from game of thrones for a second they've got um i I just finished season five and i'm not going to try and give any spoilers i don't want to um but you had everything was fine and dandy and then the faith militant come in and everything goes to hell and they are super super strict in their beliefs but that's their part of the culture and then you've got the people from Dorne who are like, eh, hey, whatever, do it, do whatever you want. Who cares? Like, this is you're a human. This is a free world. And it's just you've got so many different like conflicting points about it um, with culture because it's not just specific to a world, but also to regions like it is in the real world. And it it can get tricky.
0: One of the things one of the things that's really important about culture is is to ensure that culture culture is what gives kind of all those individual pieces that you have, the people, the places, it's what gives them a more unique life. It's what gives them right. a more unique identity. And it can be as basic as like a coat of paint. So if all of your buildings, if you describe them as, you know, a very Japanese, Chinese, or Asian style of building, that's going to give an idea of one kind of culture. If you describe right. it as like medieval European style, that's a whole different yeah you know culture that's going to be packaged in. Um, and at the same time, you know part of the culture and the part that you kind of have to be most careful about really is is often the religion.
1: I feel like that's that's true with a lot of things, um, yeah. especially when it comes to, you know, not trying to overstep any bounds or go into things that you don't really know about per se. But definitely, I think culture is the glue that puts a world together, because you can have people, places, geography, landmarks, whatever, but if there's nothing that they all believe in or they all agree on, or there's no, it's culture can also be like just the basic laws of the land, mm-hmm. and if there's nothing there, then you are in, you know, it's the Wild West, and nothing gets done properly. <laughs>
0: it's something that's a little bit harder to do just on the fly. Yeah. This is probably one of those, this is one of those things that you kind of have to think about beforehand is, um, when you're deciding setting culture should be one of those next kind of considerations where it's like, okay, I'm doing fantasy. What am I doing with that? And right. You want to consider like, do I want to have a more Asian influence or do I want to have like an African influence? Uh, do I want to just stick with the kind of default medieval European Style. Renaissance
1: style yeah yeah um or, or, or you kind of want to go a little the lord of the rings how it's um there's different races and they can all interact with each other uh or do you want to have it so that it's no they're all segregated so it's like you've got um kind of like how it was in the dragon age games where you had the alienages of the elves compared to the castles of the human nobles and then you've got the dwarves all down in the deep roads, and they're all basically just secluded to their own parts. There's not really a whole lot of, like, intertwining of the races or anything like that. And that could yeah. that's a big part of the culture point, is how do different species view each other?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, there's some traditional things you could draw from that's usually, like, elves and dwarves don't like each other. Humans are the general jack-of-all-trades kind of race, and they get along with everybody. Right. And nobody likes them orc. orc.
1: everyone hates them. Right, oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone hates the orcs.
0: But there's also no reason whatsoever that you couldn't play with that. Like, there are a lot of races that just automatically assume humans are, for whatever reason, the top of the
1: heap. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of... uh, The campaign that we have, we've got a, a myriad of races, at least. And... I think that it's going to be kind of fun to see how everyone gets along, because you, you've you got a half-orc, and you've got an Azamar, and you've got, you know, a dragonborn and a halfling. Yeah. It's all these different viewpoints, these different, like, belief systems, but they're all together, so it's kind of like America in the fact that it's a melding pot of whatever, of anything and everything.
0: And that, that leads to a pretty interesting point there that is kind of unique on the role-playing side of things on the culture, is if you're not sure what some of these wider cultural links are, you can let your players tell you what they are by how they act. Right. So if you have the elf that just is like looks down his nose at everybody, well, then elves are probably a very superior acting race here, and probably think everyone else is beneath them.
1: They're just a little racist.
0: If you have, like, the halfling that everyone else treats like, just like, a trickster little kid, then you probably have a whole race of halflings that are have a reputation for thievery or swindling or con artists, you know? Yeah.
1: Not to say that they're all like that, but that's how the culture perceives it.
0: Yeah, and, and being able to take that from what your how your players play their characters is a pretty important thing, but also kind of a nice cheat, because it's like... If they wander into an elf city and everyone's looking down at everyone that's not an elf in the party, then you're just like, "You guys told me that this was how it was."
1: Right? Yeah. There's 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 no um, kind of not really an argument for, well, why are they being like this, or you know, what's wrong? You know, what did we do? It's kind of just like that's just how they are.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a nice that's a nice tool to have in available to you is because it's such a collaborative effort, you know, um, you can get so much from your players in the choices they make. Right. Like, in in the campaign that I have with, with you, the way you and Alan act as religious characters, a paladin and a cleric, of the same god, y'all both serve Bahamut, uh, the way y'all act is informing my view of how the rest of those orders will act right if, if y'all ever see one y'all are gonna meet a cleric if y'all ever meet a cleric of bahamut he's probably gonna act a lot like alan
1: i don't think shannon's character would like that too much <laughs> as having two clerics
0: double down on that then that's fun she's in she's informing a whole lot about her her side of things too so it's good yeah
1: half works are just really angry all the time and think that everyone sucks at everything
0: and she wants to just kill people and take their money. It's fine. Um but it's it's that way of it's that way of deepening the world by the choices that are being made at the table.
1: Right. So it's it's you know seeing how the the player characters react and respond to everything around them and then kind of doing a bottom up style of building the NPCs around that as well if they're like this because of these reasons, then these people that are similar will behave Similarly, based on yeah. just what's been seen,
0: it's again, it's that it's being able to adapt on the fly to the information that you're being given. Which I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's possible f- for us to harp on that too much because that is such an important, such an important rule is being able oh, yeah. to to look at what your players are latching onto uh, and what they're kind of really digging into. And adapting to make sure that your game is the game they're wanting to play.
1: Right. And I'm going to um, steal an example from Pokemon World Tour United again. JJ and Josh and Alan had all said that Victor was supposed to be a one-off character. One of the main characters was supposed to just be some passerby that you met once, and that was that. And now he's a staple of Pokemon World Tour United.
0: And more than that, like I'm not going to give away any spoilers for this most recent episode that's come out, but... He has become an important plot piece. Yeah. <laughs> like it's listen, you guys can ask Alan about this and he will he will express the same kind of like, I have no idea how my life got to this point about right. how how big this has all gotten. But you know, it's I am not saying this just to promote a podcast that I have guested on. In either case, Alan tells we us. We promise. Like, yeah. Listen, Alan knows how to GM. If you want lessons, go listen to him.
1: Yeah, if you just need someone to like give you pointers on any aspect of either world building, DMing, anything like that, Alan's the guy to talk to. Yeah,
0: he is very good at it. And he does it on the fly so naturally that you don't even see the parts moving behind the scenes. Right. That's that's a difficult thing to get right. There, are, I have played with more than one GM that's just kind of like, oh, fine, y'all can go that way then, whatever.
1: Yeah. And I know that that's one of uh, Alan's biggest things is if he want if the players want to do something he's gonna let them do it just so that it doesn't become like it's not being forced or it's not like the biggest thing with adapting on the fly is making sure that everyone has fun because mm-hmm. if people don't have fun the story dies very quickly.
0: Yeah, that is if you're if you're world building for an RPG game, that's the golden rule. That's the rule. That's rule zero over everything else you gotta have fun and they have to have fun too right and if you're not getting that done it doesn't matter how fancy your your detailed history of this world is
1: because
0: they won't care
1: no and I mean that's that's a lot for the the role-playing um, aspect of it but if you have a story that you're writing and you know you're uh, I'm trying to, your focus group doesn't like certain aspects or they don't like this, you don't necessarily need to change everything because maybe that's not the audience you're trying to write to. But that's a whole different story from role-playing games where it's like, your players are the reason your campaign exists. Stories you can write for the audience that wants to read it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I had to do um, for creative writing classes. I had to completely alter the final five, six pages of one of my stories because my teacher didn't like how I was going with it. And that oh. really, really ruins your motivation to for for story writing. Especially of, you know, whatever nature it may be.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. It's things like that will derail you very easily. Um And in that in that situation, honestly, like if you're doing this if you're doing world building for story writing, and the golden rule becomes, you have fun.
1: Yeah. Or you you tell the story that you want to tell, and whoever likes it likes it, who doesn't doesn't, but it doesn't really affect how you do it. Like Yeah. I don't want to lose anybody by going into the details of um, this really off story that I wrote in junior year of high school. <laughs> but I had this, it was this main character and his dog in a post-apocalyptic, you know filth ridden world and the end of it was going to be you know he loses the dog the dog dies in some way he gets revenge for it but he still ends up ultimately failing his mission and the entire story was you know his goodbye note to whoever found it and you know he was just gonna off himself and this was what he had to leave behind was so that everyone knew what happened and how he couldn't prevent it I had to change that so that the dogs still lived and everyone lived happily ever after and everything was fine and dandy. And uh, sometimes stories don't always go that way.
0: No, that's that's a garbage forced edit. That's you. Yeah. Yeah, write what you want to write, have fun with it. Write exactly. create the game you wanna create with the players who wanna play it with you.
1: And if things don't necessarily always go how you want them to, that's fine. Roll with it. Exactly.
0: Before we close out here, we've mentioned a couple of of uh, podcasts so far. Um, are there any other things you would recommend if people want to hear really good examples of world building?
1: Like I said, um, the Achievement Hunter podcast, Heroes and Halfwits—they do a fantastic job. The the DM there does a great job of getting everyone into character or into um, the world they're in. Uh, Pokemon World Tour United, Pokemon World Tour United, Pokemon World Tour United, Pokemon World Tour United.
0: We might be a bit biased. We've both been in it.
1: Maybe just a little bit. But also, the three of them, Josh, JJ, and Alan, are so good at letting that world just be how it's going to be. And it comes to them. And it's great. And it's, it's a prime example of how an RPG should be played. It's the players are having fun. The GM is having fun. And everything is still continuing and going on. Alan also does a great job with everything. Uh, RPG that they do with CKT Cast. Other than that, I personally don't listen to a whole lot of uh, actual play RPGs. I've been told multiple times by JJ and a bunch of other people that the Adventure Zone is fantastic if you want to get into someone creating a world from the ground up and just having so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, no, I don't really. I I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts beside that. <laughs> Uh, the
0: only other ones I would add to that list, um, is going to be, if you are at all interested in Star Wars, go listen to the campaign podcast, um, where they- I think I've
1: heard you and Alan talk talk about them a couple times.
0: Yeah, it's, um, bonkers. It is several, um, several just improv comedians that take the Star Wars universe as it is and go nuts with it. It's got a great outcome. Um. Other than that, uh, God's Fall is one of the most detailed, created worlds that I have ever seen. And it's a really good actual play. Go listen to that.
1: Yeah. Plug, plug. Cheap
0: plug. Yep. All right, dude. Well, uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Awesome. Well, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Uh, You can find me mostly on Twitter um I'm at Scotty Mace 1. There's a jerk sitting on Scotty Mace who hasn't used it in forever. Oh. Uh, got to love it. Um you can find me on episode 24 of Pokémon Roto United. Uh you can hear how bad I am at talking over there. Hope it wasn't too bad this time. Uh oh, this is great. Okay. Uh other than that, yeah, there's not really a whole lot of places that I am.
0: You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com. Follow us on Twitter at FifthDraw or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening.